Join Ian Garlic as we uncover the hidden marketing story. Welcome back to the Garlic Marketing Show. Ian Garlic here. And today we're going to talk about one of my absolute favorite topics, infomercials and direct response marketing. How you can work in any business, the latest formula for it working in 2022, and how to use infomercials in digital marketing with one of the legends, John LeClaire. John, thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure, Ian. Thank you much for having me. It's great to see you again. Yeah, John's a, a great friend, uh, an amazing marketer, worked with a ton of amazing people. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. But before we get started, of course, it's brought to you by VideoCaseStory.com, one of the best ways to improve your infomercials, improve all of your digital marketing, your sales, and even your team building is video case stories. Go to VideoCaseStory.com to learn how to collect, craft, and deliver your video case stories. John, so... You know, we're going to talk today, I want to get into the formula because you, you've been doing infomercials for so long and done so many successful ones and also have translated that into digital marketing. But before we get into that magic formula that you have, tell me a little bit about how, you know, you got into digital, how you got into infomercials and how it grew and how you started Harvest Growth, your agency. So I'm one of the few people that still says I'm proud to be called an infomercial producer. <laughs> it's a it's a career that's different today, certainly than it was when I got into it, you know, 15, 20 years ago on this side of the business. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's a great uh, industry to be in for sure. And we'll talk about why and you know, the kind of the fun aspects of it. I came into it in a roundabout way, long story short. So I'm actually a public accountant by trade. That was my first job out of college. And all I knew was I could not do that for 40 years. I didn't know what I was going to do. Uh, a few years later, after going to grad school, coming out in marketing and getting a phone call from a headhunter about a job opportunity with OxyClean, that literally is the phone call that kind of, you know, as it were, changed my life, right? I was in marketing at the time and brand management, but I knew I wanted to do something entrepreneurial. And I've, you know, I've got, we could talk about that story for days. The short of it is, though, what a great place to work. I was family-owned business at the time where they were still uh, successful but growing. I was you know, able to join really at the sweet spot of the company to help them launch many other OxyClean products. And Kaboom, as, as a brand, I was able to run that entire brand, did a lot of new product development work. And the fun part of it, though, this was back in the Billy Mays days. So you know, I got to interact a lot with Billy directly and really see what made at the time them so successful with the, within the industry, within the infomercial industry. And really, and we'll talk about as we get through this interview too, but it's, I've been able to continue down that road. It's, it's so different today than it was, you know, in the late nineties, early two thousands, when I kind of cut my teeth in this industry. And in many ways it's the same. So that's what we can maybe talk about is, you know, the, the science is really what stayed the same, even though the look and feel of a, of a TV spot today is different than it was in the heyday of Billy Mays, of course, it does look a bit, most of them do look a little bit different. Although Mike Lindell from My Pillow, Phil Swift from um, his product, et cetera, and, and others that are like that, they're you know they look kind of similar. But most of this world is different, but the science has really remained the same and continues to be very successful, luckily, and remains a lot of fun today. And you know it, it's it's amazing you name all those people, and you, you were talking about Billy Mays. And I love the idea because pitchmen are, I mean, essentially he was a pitchman. And I think those are just, it's, it's insane what they did. How important was Billy to the success of OxyClean? 
It's a great question. And a lot of people, I get the question a lot, you know, did Billy own the company? And he was not the owner of, of OxyClean. The company was actually called Orange Glow International back in the day. It was owned by the Apple family. And they're the ones that developed the product, brought it out, and actually found Billy Mays at a trade show and kind of turned him into who he became as a as a as a pitch man. He was he I shouldn't say that that way. He was definitely a master pitch man, but he he became the face of OxyClean really because of the product that was developed. And so they were, you know, in married, I think the two of them, the company and the face of the company. Um but he was a big so- a source of the success. I will tell you, you know, Billy May, he rest in peace. Everybody everyone who knew him loved him and respected him and they were grateful for his presence in the company and really realized that he helped create it. But he was also expensive, right? So you start to realize when you've got a single face of your brand, A, it's risky because something could happen and, and did. You know, he passed away before his prime, I think, and about the age of 50, right, where he could have done many more years. Um, so they were trying to prepare for that or who knows what. So we always market tested other talent or hosts to see if anyone else could move the needle. And it was the funny thing in, in focus groups, we'd be, be behind the glass, we'd show a video of Billy and in front of this audience, what do you guys think? Oh, I hate that guy, or he's too loud, or he yells, he bothers me, but I trust him. That was the response we always, I mean, some people loved him, of course, right? And if you knew him, you loved him. But even if you were bothered by him, his voice, his energy, et cetera, you trusted him. And that, I think, is the single part of the success that that really made him stand out among the greatest pitchman. It really, he won't be, I don't think, tied ever. There have been other great ones. He's, he's certainly the greatest of all time, in part because, man, he, you could tell that he loved whatever product he was pitching. You could tell he had that trust, not just the energy, but really credibility that it was going to work. And, you know, that aspect of the, the pitchman, how have you brought it over? How, how has it changed as, you know, we went digital, as things have changed and you bring infomercials now? online? That's a good question. So I'll I'll say, I think it's pretty similar between TV as well as online where, you know, even in the heyday, probably 80% of TV spots were, did not have a pitch man. You didn't need a pitch man. Of course, Billy made the difference for a lot of products over the years because of who he was, but a lot of successes came out when they were truly product focused as well. We call those voiceover spots, right? Hosted spot like Billy Mays or voiceover spot when you just see demonstrations, see something being done in front of you and talk about the product. And we always say the biggest difference between the two, that when you want to, or I would say need a host or a pitch man is if you want to prove and show the product works right before your eyes. So OxyClean and other cleaning products, they're great with a pitch man, but other products, you know, electronics, kitchen gadgets, if, if you can see that it works, you don't need that kind of live interaction as much, then uh, it may not be necessary. That can, that can save some money um, for sure. The other piece that's a little bit different is we use a lot of talent in the digital world now, but more of an influencer style as opposed to an infomercial host. As it were, it doesn't need to be a celebrity. It's more about – now it's more about is that person real, right? I'd, ra- I'd almost rather – would pitch with somebody who seems like your neighbor then seems like a celebrity on social media, be it Facebook, Instagram, or even other platforms like YouTube, et cetera. In the digital world, it's more about trust. You know, can I trust the story they're telling me? So if you are using a talent, we tend to use someone who looks more credible or, or realistic uh, for most categories. It's a long, you know, there's a lot of ways to answer that. Sometimes celebrities work, et cetera, but most of the time it's more about credibility than anything else. Uh, and the other piece to remember that 
that one of the reasons hosts aren't used maybe even off as often in digital as they used to be in TV is most as I and you know, when you see a video on Facebook or Instagram and not as much on YouTube, but the volume's off, right? So you're just scrolling through the Facebook feed and, and that's, you got to plan for that. So with the hosted spot, you know, talking at screen, you can have subtitles, of course, but it's more about getting that visual demonstration, showing a product work, if it's a product or if it's a service, it might be big text on screen, et cetera, telling your story. But uh, that's one way it's, the world is a little bit different today than it was back in the heyday of TV. But the way it's different, so, but how has, has the success stayed the same with infomercials? Who's still succeeding with the infomercial formula now in digital as we've gone away from TV? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, a lot of people say gone away from TV. It's a fair way to say it. I will tell you just for uh, the audience's sake, we get a lot of questions about TV. We still do probably 30% of our business on national TV. TV still works as a medium, though it is very different today than it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, et cetera. And so, and for most of the audience, TV is, is at least the right place to look first. So if TV, you know, even if your end goal is TV, you're, you're still typically going to start off in the digital world. Um, and the way that the, I would call it the science, the learnings from the, the, you know, 30 years of, or almost 40 years of TV infomercials and how that applies to direct or digital marketing today. There's a lot of ways in which they're similar. So, one format that we use, okay, so there's kind of the standard two-minute spot or two-minute infomercial if you, if you watch it, and you'll still see these on. You'll think of a Michael Lindell spot or obviously back in the day, Billy Mays and many others, is starting off with a problem solution, right? So this, this same science works very well in digital. So starting off problem solution, present the problem. It might be funny, black and white, over the top like it was in the TV world. It might not, but but show, okay, what problem are you facing? Because if you can capture the audience's attention and resonate with a problem that they're experiencing or feeling right now in their life and then present them a solution, you've got them, right? You've sold them right away. So that's why that, that approach still works extremely well today. So that helps capture the attention. We then move into getting into features and benefits, right? So being very explicit about, okay, what are the top few, just a handful of core features and benefits about this product or service it could be that it's gonna, again, resonate with the audience. And for us, and if we have time, I can go through kind of our whole approach that we use to craft a script, et cetera. But in short, using market research to figure out some of these questions, like what, okay, I've got 30 different features and benefits about my product. They're all awesome because I invented this, right? But really, I've got to call that down to the top few. So using market research, talking to consumers and getting answers back from them can really help us to figure that out. What are the core elements getting to features and benefits? And I'll take a quick aside. One big difference between TV and digital is length of spot. So especially in Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, et cetera, it's all about shorter videos. So the, the best performing videos typically, again, there's always the exception, right? But typically, the best performing videos on Facebook and Instagram, for example, are 15 seconds, right? Sometimes they're even getting shorter than that. So you've got to you've got to get through this problem solution feature benefit very quickly. The good news is is now with digital tools, you can complete the story where we used to have two minutes to communicate the entire story on TV. And believe it or not, you'd get people to sit and watch the whole thing, right? And a good infomercial back in the day, you'd always get them to finish like in market research. And they say, that wasn't two minutes, was it, right? So if you can get through that story, keep them engaged, excited, it doesn't feel that long. But you had the luxury. We, we don't have that luxury always anymore. But we can now show it in chunks, right? So I might have that full story in two minutes and break it into six, seven, eight different 15-second chunks. 
and then through retargeting, making sure that they see different elements of, of the story. They may not buy on day one, right? But on the third, fourth, fifth viewing, they come back and, and complete that story and now purchase from you. So that's like we keep going down that formula. So uh, problem solution, into features and benefits, and then credi- credibility is a huge one, right? So I joke because, you know, in the infomercial days, the as seen on TV products, you had to build credibility only because nobody trusted the, the products were because a lot of them didn't, right? Yeah. Um, but if you had it, that was one of the things that made OxyClean so great is people got it home. It worked. You know, the, the promises were there. You may not have a black fishbowl of water. If you remember that demonstration <laughs> that goes to pure white instantaneously, maybe that's not realistic for you, but, but it did get rid of stains, right? And, and so having that performance through experience, proving that it works is important, but we need to build the credibility to get it in your home first, right? And there's a lot of ways to do it. One of the most powerful is what you're so great at, Ian, is, is getting the story, right? The testimonial is getting that, you know, how do we get them to, to react? And Ian, as you and I have talked, I think, you know, what I love about you and your expertise is, you know, you talk about how, and I should say, I talk about after watching your videos and the work you've done, how you make people cry. That's your, that's kind of your great expertise, um, both on camera, but also you, you get the emotion, you pull them out, pull that emotion out of the viewer. And it's in a, in a short soundbite, it's a little tougher to get as much emotion, but we at least need the credibility. So this, you know, where some of your stories that you put together might be, I think some are probably minutes long, but certainly longer than, you know, five seconds or so. I've got to call that down in, within a 15 second spot. I've maybe got, you know, at most 15 seconds, right? But it might be three or four seconds to give a quick sound bite. Hey, I, I, this works, but say it in, in such a way that's really credible. So that's one great way to do that, to build that credibility. And the last thing I'll mention is, is the CTA or call to action. So at the end of a, again, we started this in infomercials, build up this emotional, get to the height of like, hey, this thing sounds great. Get them over the edge with what we call an irresistible offer. So again, it's a little different today than it used to be, but on TV, this might be, hey, buy one ShamWow and I'll send you six more for free or whatever, right? You, you've got this big offer, like how do they afford to do that for just $19.99? Again, it's a little different. It may not be the same big offer bill. Buy now, you get this, this, this for free. It doesn't have to be the yell and sell approach, but it does mean, okay, I got to build value throughout the first part of this video process. And at the end, it is a call to action send them to the website. And it's, now it's really easy because you've got to say, just click on the button below, right? Uh, depending on where you're advertising, et cetera. But, but that call to action at the end of, you got you to tell them where to go, right? You got to tell them what to do. It's not just about building connection. It's about truly selling. And that last part of the video is, is, a, is a key component that, again, all this comes from the world of infomercials, but we've seen it work. Look, it looks different, right? The, the video of today looks different than it did 10 years ago on TV, but but it, but it, the science behind it is very similar and it delivers results. And that's the ultimate key. And I've talked about it so many times because it's direct response marketing and direct response, direct response, great copywriting. These formulas work over and over and over for the history of advertising and just adjusting them. Like you said, you know, adjusting the content, adjusting that. And I want to get into, cause I think the idea of the irresistible offer and how you guys are figuring that out and how you're testing it and also those scripts, I want to talk to you about that, but who like when you're identifying a client that's perfect for this because obviously you put a lot of work into it you have a lot of success you've got you've got to turn away clients and you you know you've got to turn away products and you got to say this is the product that we want to work with because you can't work with everyone who are the perfect people that really the perfect companies that should be working with you building these infomercials yeah great question and and really the kind of the perfect 
type of product to achieve quick success in a digital marketing world, there's a couple things, if I could call it down and make it really simple, you know, part of it's the soft skill of just having, for us, we've launched hundreds of products and looked at thousands, right? And, and done market research for over a thousand products uh, in house just over the last 15 years. Um, but so there's a soft side of it, subjective, but the easy and quick way to answer your question is it's really about, it's about uniqueness and solving problems. So we look for products that are truly unique and different. So if there's something that, you know, as I look at it, I'm like, I swear I've seen that there's something like it, or even if it totally is unique, but there's something else that does the same benefit or solves the same problem, then it's not, you know, it's, it's just not going to sell well. Cause you got to realize it's, it's a little different. It's harder to get the impulse now, even though through digital marketing, it's much easier to order a product today than it was five years ago, right? Or even a year ago, it's, often can be one click, right? Through Apple Pay, Shop Pay, et cetera. Amazon, of course, makes it really relatively easy, but it's still more of a process than grabbing off a shelf, putting into your cart as you're walking by, right? So part of it is, okay, it's gotta be unique and then solving a problem. And this is something that when we do market research, we test, I think, probably relatively uniquely. I, a lot of the market research surveys that we do, they're really built off of what I used to do at Kraft Foods as a brand manager years and years ago and, and kind of use that same approach. Most of it's the tried and true concept test style of market research. We're testing for purchase intent for those that are familiar with market research, um, uniqueness, all that kind of stuff. But the question that we add that's a little different is, does this product solve a problem for you? And getting that scaled answer back on that question. And sometimes we'll get really excited as we run through market research. And, you know, there's the gut side of it, but I also want to test with, you know, 100, 200 consumers and get their thoughts too, because they don't have a skin in the game like I do. They're, they're not jaded like, you know, you and I, you know, we're in the marketing world. We just look at things differently, right? So we get the response back. Okay, super unique. Awesome. Uh, great value for the money. Great. Are you in interested in purchasing? Yes. Awesome. But if it doesn't solve a problem, they're not going to go through the even three clicks to purchase, right? Or they'll, 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 they'll think they want to buy it, right? They'll have the intent to purchase, but they won't, right? They'll say, oh, that's really cool. I'm going to remember that next time I go to the, my web browser or whatever. And then they forget and they don't buy. So solving a problem is, a, is definitely a key uh, interaction. And part of that is based on the product. Part of it's based on the story. So a lot of this can be fixed with messaging, right? So sometimes how you position your product can make all the difference. So the, the marketing speak really, or the messaging you use behind it is what's going to drive the success. So now you, I mean, who, tell me about some of these successes that you've had, because I mean, obviously you've done what, what successes can you tell me about? Cause you've done a ton, obviously. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No. So I, you know, my, my favorite story is always OxyClean, which is my first one that I worked on in the TV space or direct to consumer world. And of course I didn't invent the, the brand, uh, but was able to launch a few of their big products. Uh, one was called Kaboom Bowl Blaster, which was this foaming toilet cleaner you pour in and super visual. It worked well, still does, but, but, um, it was super visual and got, you know, kind of captured your attention. That was a really fun one. Um, and back, you know, before that I was able to work with, uh, Nabisco hundred calorie packs and help bring that business out, which is, uh, still around today, you know, more than almost 20 years later, um, after the initial launch. But since, you know, since starting Harvest Growth, we've had a lot of fun with some successful launches over the years as well. So a couple I'll mention are, one was a product called Sonic Scrubber. It was one of the first products we worked on, ended up selling 10 million units. And it's, if you're not familiar with it, it's essentially like a, a, a Sonicare style toothbrush, but for household cleaning. So cleaning out grout lines, et cetera, super powerful, but small, uh, bike chains, all this kind of, any kind of small intense cleaning it was great for. And 
uh, did extremely well. We were able to be part of that one essentially from from launch until they got to the point of selling, like I said, 10 million units. And there's a couple other ones that were two of my favorite stories were two that were uh, hundred year old brands. So they did really well before we met them, but they we shifted their story and kind of catapulted their growth. So one was a company called Bona. If you have oh, Bona yeah. hardwood floor, or hardwood floor cleaners, if you have hardwood floors, you probably know the brand. Um, we launched a, launched them onto TV, and it really catapulted their retail and, and consumer side of their business, and you know grew to tens of millions of dollars. And a similar story was Gunned Teddy Bears. So. You know, those in the audience that, that have small kids, uh, again, a hundred year old brand, but we, we got them on TV for the first time with, uh, an animatronic, uh, stuffed animal called the peekaboo line. Peekaboo puppy was one of those, for example, um, and helped grow that business that had been doing well, but not, you know, hyper growth kind of thing until we got them on TV that, that, uh, really catapulted them, uh, took them from TV to digital as well and, and really furthered their growth and, they actually uh, sold off their company for $70 million. It's all public knowledge you know, from press releases, that kind of stuff. So we're able to share that and uh, have, have done really well. So it's, uh, those are a couple of, you know, a few of the fun ones that are brands a lot of people recognize. And when, so I mean, that brings up a great, I want to get into the irresistible offer, but you talked about problem solution. And when you look into those nice to haves, like the peekaboo puppy, right? I mean, I'm, you know, I get the hardwood floors and I get OxyClean because it's like we want to have clean everything. Uh, but you know, you get peekaboo puppy. What when you go with that type of nice to have? Where does the problem come in? Yeah, great question. And, and that comes in, you know, creating a problem essentially for grandparents, right? So this one is okay. I, I've got to find a unique gift for my grandkids. I don't want to buy another stuffed animal. We've got a, a ton of them. It seems like I, you know, as a grandparent, I buy those all the time. Whatever. Not that I'm a grandparent, but that's the way they they think, right? <laughs> <laughs> so this was something very different that they, they could get excited about visually, you know, just in showing the reactions of the kids in the spot and in such a way that grandparents especially could now look at their grandkids and see, okay, I want my grandkids. My problem is I, I, you know, I want to make sure I have my grandkids smile like that kid smiling. It's the emotional connection. So that's a great point. It's not your typical gadget that is truly solving a problem, you know, a traditional problem other than really gift giving. Right. And, and some of those, you know, may not be as, as a year-round success as much. It might be big in Q4 uh, when they're really focused around gifts, et cetera. But luckily, that period of time is big enough to still drive a massive success like that. Yeah. And, I mean, it, it, it's really cool. You know, it made me think of, too, like, that's what Disney does. If you, if you watch Disney Channel at all, it's, they're not selling the, the features of the rides, they're, or they're, they're not saying we've got the fastest roller coaster or the coolest roller coaster or 27 rides. It's like just videos of kids going around being super happy and thanking their parents. Which, yeah. by the way, if you ever actually go to Disney World, it does not happen. <laughs> Good point. The parents are crying the whole day. And the kids. Yeah. You see, I mean, if you, if you go to Disney World at like 4 p.m. and walk, start walking in the park and you're like, this is the least happy place on earth. But that's a whole other story. <laughs> uh, but, you know, so... How do you create now? How do you create and test irresistible offers on something, especially like a hundred year old brand? How do you because the irresistible offer I think is one of the most important things. And like companies come to us, and if they don't have an offer, I'm like, if you don't have an offer, it's really hard for us to help you. I, and obviously, you're helping people with offers. How do you go about that now in the digital age? Yeah, great question. 
And uh, let me talk first. So there's there's two types of offers. Again, whether this is on TV or, or in a digital world, there's what we call a hard offer and a soft offer. So hard offer means you show the price. Soft offer means it's it's not shown until you get to the website or whatever. So you're the offer offering, right? You're talking about the product, but you're not talking about the price. And I will say most of our digital offers are soft offers. Yep. So we we wait. We want to get them leaning forward. And the reason, one of the big reasons for that is I may, you know, they may only ingest three seconds of content and think, hey, that's a really cool stuffed animal or you know, a boogie board is another big client of ours that we, that we love. That's uh, those little electronic tablet devices you write on, hit a button and erases that lots of kids have. Or, you know, you may, may love that brand. I click over to go to myboogieboard.com, for example. Um, and it's, I may not be ready to purchase, but now I'm pixeled, right? So now I can be followed within the digital platform. So I see more and more ads because I've, I've clicked on the first one, right? I went to the website, maybe didn't purchase yet. So the, the story may not, may not be done. The, the sales cycle doesn't always take place just in the video, right? So that what we call irresistible offer may be moved from where it always used to be at the end of a TV spot. Now it may be moved to the website only, right? So you have to realize kind of the science behind that where this is might be the first time they see the price where they were a little on the TV world. They were more warmed to it, right? Like, oh, I can't believe I get all that for $19.99. I'm ready to buy. I get to the site and I place, place an order. Well, now I get them to the site. They don't even know what this costs, right? They have no idea, no frame of reference. So part of the, part of the story becomes, okay, how do I get them to go digest even more content on the site before maybe even seeing the price. So treat this as, okay, they saw, let's say 15 seconds or whatever your average view time is. They get to the site. Okay, I want to essentially get them to get through the rest of, quote unquote, two minutes of content, right? It's not about the time, it's about the story, right? But get them through the rest of the story before they're introduced to the price point. So now, sometimes the irresistible offer becomes irresistible because I'm so sold on the solution that you provided as opposed to just the price. It's not always just about the price anymore. It's not just about being amazed. Like, how do you do that? Right? Like now we know, cause it's like they source this crap from China at a small factory. That's why they got it so cheap before and it didn't work. Right. But today I want a better value product, right? I want better value for my money. I want something that's going to work. I'm willing to pay more for it. So it's not just about getting a low price. It's about, okay, now I can't believe I get all this value. I can't believe you're solving all these problems. I can't believe you're answering all my questions, right? So the more you speak to the audience in their own language, the more that their offer becomes irresistible at the end. Love it, love it. And I mean, and, and so how are you going about, I mean, you, you do the market research, but do, do you go then and test each piece of that offer or do you test different offers? Yeah, so let me, let me dive into real quickly our what we call our perfect launch process. So there's a process okay, we follow that helps us get into figure out what the offer should be in the first place. And then it, it kind of includes the testing. So let me rewind a little bit and talk about that. So our, yeah. our perfect launch process, and really what we focus on is launching products, right? Where that's kind of the focus of our agency and really what we've done you know, for hundreds of products over the last 15 years. And so from that, we've come up with this process that, hey, what, what really works as a flow of a process to make sure that we've got the best chance of success to get there in the fastest way possible, i.e. the least expensive way, right? So, you know, any product can be successful if you've got an unlimited budget and unlimited time to make it work, right? We want to cull that down to make it, okay, now how do we do it in the reasonable budget and in the fastest time possible? And this process is what gets us there. So it's in simple ways. It's basically we plan 
optimize and profit. So planning, that's where the market research comes in play. This is all before launch, launch preparation. So it's about market research. It's that concept test I talked about where we're is, is essentially explaining a product. Maybe it's a simple video. Oftentimes it's just a picture or drawing and a couple of paragraphs written about core features and benefits. And then we ask, okay, how likely are they to purchase? How unique is this? Does it solve problems? Uh, we ask about concerns. So going over this, these asking questions in a, a specific way, now all of a sudden we have an understanding of really three things. Uh, it's kind of the, the stool or legs of the stool, as it were, for the launch. It's the audience, the offer, and the messaging, right? So the audience, this market research helps us figure out who is your target audience, who do you focus on first. Even if your product's for everybody, which is the part of your audience that's most profitable? So you can start there, right? So is it females age 35 to 55, whatever, right? So figure out your core section of your of your audience. Um, the offer as well, you talked about irresistible offer. So we always test, and when you do market research, I'll tell you, you, know, you can do these surveys on your own if you'd like, and uh, a couple ways to do it is ask open-ended pricing first, right? Don't ever give a frame of reference in the concept of how much your product costs because they're not gonna see that in marketing either, right? So what does this product do? How does it solve your problems? What are the features and benefits? Ask a bunch of questions. Then ask, what do you expect to pay for this, right? Open-ended, what do you think this is worth, right? So now we get interaction from, from potential customers, what they're willing to pay, or what they expect to pay for this. Then we reveal the price that we think it's, it should be, or is at least gonna start at, and we ask them the purchase intent question again. And we see, okay, does it go up, does it go down, based on what we asked them unpriced and now priced? And then a unique, and that's kind of a, I would say, fairly standard way of doing that, that type of market research. A unique thing that we do is we, at the end of all of our surveys, we ask an additional question that feels less market researchy, and it's essentially they've gone through this, you know, you know, spent I don't know five or ten minutes with us answering questions. The last question is, hey, thanks so much for taking the survey. How'd you like to buy this product for twenty percent off? You know, at this price rather than what we quoted to uh, before. And it's written. We're not actually selling it. it it's uh, it's just written. It feels that way, so it doesn't feel like purchase intent. Now it's like, okay, you're really going to get out your wallet. And now we've seen like, it does a double check on the pricing. Are we in the right value space? Um, and you know, are there any other issues we should be dealing with? Okay, they said high purchase intent, but now when it actually comes to purchasing, it's really yeah. low. We got a problem to deal with. So it's kind of those three different buckets of the way that we, we figure out general pricing. But as I mentioned, the offer is so much more than pricing. The last leg of the stool, so it's audience, offer, the last leg is messaging. Mm -hmm. So messaging is all about what's gonna drive our script. It's about core features and benefits that, that work for this audience. It's about making sure that that story works and resonates for them. And to make this offer irresistible, are you hitting the key features and benefits that your audience cares about, right? So that's, that's where that part of the process comes in. Um, and then I'll go really quickly through the rest of it. So uh, as part of this preparation planning phase of market research, I talked about in detail. Competitive analysis, we're always looking at competition. What are they doing right, wrong? What can we learn, et cetera? And then we go into, okay, now we launch. It's about optimization. So when you and when anyone launches, whether it's us, you know, with, you know, luckily we've done hundreds of these over the years and we've kind of figured this out, or whether it's your first launch and you're doing it on your own, that optimization part of the process is so key. Don't assume it's gonna if it doesn't work on day one, don't worry about it. There's so many home runs that were they looked like failures for a couple of weeks or maybe even months as as you work through these. It's just about optimization. It might be, as you mentioned before, Ian, price testing, right? So maybe it's a price point issue. Maybe it's the way we talk about messaging. Maybe it's the audience we're going after. So it's just 
going back and forth and retesting now not in market research but in a live environment so now let's use facebook for example we're doing an ad campaign on facebook and we'll be able to test again different audiences different offers change the messaging so all these things are constantly testing and optimizing that's that optimization part and then as soon as you hit the point where okay i've got whatever my level needs to be let's say it's you know two dollars in revenue for every one dollar you spend whatever it is for your math for your business once you hit that now it's all about that third phase which is profit okay now let's scale this up and in simple terms there's a whole process we put behind that but in simple terms it's about reinvesting and again it all comes back to learning and optimizing and growing um, once you get through that cycle. And, you know, it, it, what I love about this is it's been kind of a theme for the, the show and what I've been talking about. It sounds simple, but it's not easy. I'm sure there's, there's so much nuance to each part. Just like that question, how you asked that last that question about the pricing. I think that's an amazing question because most people will tell you they'll buy th things for one price, but then actually when it comes time to buy it, they'll have a different mindset, won't they? Yeah, absolutely. And it might, and seeing how they respond to that last question, I mean, there could be, you know, a hundred different reasons that the response rate either goes really low or really high. Um, and it's just, you know, having done so many of these, it's, it's knowing how to read the data of market research to be able to see what, uh, what drove it. But if you're doing this again on your own, um, you can always, you can always, you know, do your best, right? So not having done a thousand of these or whatever, it's okay. You can still get some learnings and then just make sure you focus on the optimization part. So when you do launch, just be sure that you're using learnings, right? So if it doesn't work, make it you know, one tweak at a time and then watch results. Does it go up? Does it go down, et cetera? Continually optimize. And really that continues on forever. Even when you're really profitable in week one, which sometimes happens, you still want to optimize because can you be twice as profitable? Great, right? Yeah. So how much more can you improve these results? And so those are the keys to success. What are the, the biggest mistakes you see in people trying to do infomercials? Good question. I, I think, to be honest, the biggest one is, is giving up too early. So because we deal with a lot of inventors and entrepreneurs, a, a common phrase I, I get when I my first phone call, somebody calls me up, hey, I've spent $100,000 or $150,000 on a patent and my one sample and I've got no money left over. What do I do next? Well, okay, you gotta, you gotta save some money for marketing, right? But even the ones that, that start and, and go down this path, you gotta make sure you've got the funding in place to have enough of a, what we call runway for testing, right? So the biggest mistake to be honest is, okay, thinking that, okay, I'm gonna spend all this money, launch it on TV or launch it online on digital. And if it's not a home run in week one, I give up and move on, right? It's just not about that. There's, there is a process to this. And, and as long as you go into it thinking, you don't, the nice thing is you don't need millions of dollars like you used to to launch a product. You know, TV really brought down those costs and now digital brought down the costs even more. So TV was the point where it was, you know, ballpark figure, let's say a hundred grand all in, right? To be able to do a solid test, a national TV, et cetera. And now digital, you could do for a fraction of that. So you can do a lot less, uh, a lot less money, right? For, for your testing and, and start to get some results back. But still, don't go into it thinking, okay, I, enough for just one week and then I'm done. If that's the case, then either raise some money or save up some more, whatever it takes 
but just make sure you give yourself enough runway to be able to test and optimize and you know make some mistakes along the way i, I call them mistakes but it's you know, every campaign is is a little bit different so you know whether you're experienced or not right it, it's it's still a learning process cuz every product's a little different so yeah. giving yourself that runway to be able to to find figure out your path love it I mean, I mean, it's so important because there's so many products that, yeah, there's the occasional that hit home runs, but there's so many that I know get out there and test and test and test, and it takes a long time to get it to work. And you just never know. I mean, because it could be wrong platform. It could be wrong messaging. It could be the right messaging on the wrong platform. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, there's absolutely. so much out there. Um, awesome, John. So tell me a little bit about working with Harvest Growth. How do, does someone work with you? I mean, we, we heard about your process. But how do you, how do they figure out if you're the right match for them? Yeah, thanks for asking. So, if anyone is interested in reaching out to us, the best way is check out our website, harvestgrowth, g r o w t h, dot com, and uh, you know, a lot of information about who we are, what we do. Actually, the ability to set up a, a meeting directly with me is on our website. So, if you'd like to, just you have some specific questions, so you know, learn about our process. We've got a blog on there that explains a lot more detail than than I did today. All, all that kind of stuff, you know. Um, but if you really want to, if you have specific questions, you want to jump on the phone and just ask some, uh, you know, let's, let's chat for a few minutes if you'd like, or connect with me on LinkedIn as well, um, is a good way, um, to get a hold of me, but, uh, the website's probably best. So harvestgrowth.com, find out some information and, and feel free to reach out. Awesome. Awesome. And yeah, if you're thinking about an infomercial, I mean, you're not going to find many people, uh, probably, there's probably like three other people that have as much success and as much experience as John LeClaire. So definitely give him a call. He's an I can vouch for him. He's a pretty nice guy too. <laughs> um, John, this has been awesome. Um, so you know you've seen a lot of craziness, and a lot, I'm sure in the marketing world, uh, you know we we talk about some marketing stories. What's one of the craziest things that, that happened, or the, the biggest successes, or biggest the things that you're going to be think going to be successes that ended up not working, or vice versa, in your long illustrious marketing career? Yeah, it's a great question. And you you learn in this industry, you learn very early on not to trust your gut entirely, right? So, you know, as much as I mentioned before, having launched so many products, there's some that, you know, you can make a judgment call, et cetera. But, man, there are some surprises that come across your desk that you, you never would have expected, right? And there's a, a long, long list. But a, a couple of funny stories I'll share, or funny products, I guess, I'll share that, that were along those lines. So one is a product where... Years ago, I got a phone call from a woman who had this brand new product, had zero sales at the time, and it was a, a wooden stool that you put in front of your toilet to put your legs up on top of, to squat, to go to the bathroom better, basically. And you know, as, I, as I bring this up, most of the audience probably know ex now knows exactly what that product is, the Squatty Potty. So I happened to talk to Judy, who's the, one of the inventors in this product, it was family-owned. Uh, still is business. And I, I remember talking with her on, I mean, very early on, she sent me this big, heavy wooden version of it and thinking like, who's going to buy this thing, right? And, and, and I, you know, you kind of quickly learn, uh, we had to consult with her early on and help with some of her early uh, ideation, et cetera. Luckily, great family, an amazing product, frankly, that I didn't, I didn't personally get early on, but obviously America did. And you know, it took a little while, but that thing turned a corner. And now, you know, they're doing tens of millions of dollars a year in sales on the Squatty Potty um, on multiple different marketing channels. And again, you get surprised sometimes. Another one that's along those lines that, that I almost didn't call back 
but I'm so glad I did because we love the client. It's been a super fun project and frankly surprised us with the results. And I've told them this many times, so it's, I'm not uh, sharing anything I wouldn't share with the client either. But, man, I did not expect it to work. But it's called Pony Up Daddy. If you've seen that one, it's been all over the Today Show, Good Morning America, Ellen Show, and, of course, National TV. Um, it's done really well. But it's, oh. it's essentially a, a saddle that dads or moms can wear and their kids ride around <laughs> the house, right? Kids can hold on. And it's funny because, like, like your question before, who needs this, right? It's not – I mean, the squatty yeah. potty is solving a problem for sure. There's a medical reason for it, right? The Pony Up Daddy is not solving a problem. <laughs> it may be creating problems, right? But it's but it was a lot of fun. And it, it kind of it resonated that one also with grandmas where once we figured out who the audience was, we started at parents and it was kind of lackluster success. But we hit those grandmas and, man, it, that thing has, has taken off and, and uh, has been one of our bigger successes. It's uh, It's been around for years and has, has done really well. But again, you, you learn quickly. You can only trust your gut so far, especially if there's a little bit of quirkiness. Or the other piece I look for in products that, that I think I didn't mention before is personality. If you, your product can have some personality inherently, right? Like whether it's the name of it, like the Squatty Potty, or whether it's the visual side of it and what it does, like the Pony Up Daddy, then there, that's, a, that's an element of the product. You know, can, and, and sometimes a personality is given to a product, right? It may not be, it may not be innate, but if you can get it, through branding, right? So, or, or something else that you do, maybe it's a jingle connection, but having that personality can really resonate with an audience. Love it. Love it. Well, uh, John, this has been fantastic. Definitely have to have you on again, talking more about scripts, about what's working now. Uh, but thank you so much for being on the Garlic Marketing Show. Ian, thanks so much. I really enjoyed it. And thank you all for taking John and I on your journey. Make sure to check out harvestgrowth.com. Make sure to tell John you've been on. If you're thinking about an infomercial, definitely reach out to him. But thank you for taking John and I on your journey. This has been Ian Garlic and the Garlic Marketing Show. Video. You know it will make you an authority. You know it will get you more leads. Better leads that close faster and spend more with you. And video stories will help you be remembered and connect with those perfect clients. The problem is, where do you start? StoryCruise.com is the place to go. It's like a film crew with an S. What's your strategy? Do you do it yourself? Do you hire a videographer, an agency? Do you need an editor? How do you know if they really know your business and how to make videos for business that work? The answer to all of this and more can be found at StoryCruise.com. It is the place to find the latest video marketing strategies, the best gear for your business, as well as videographers, editors, and agencies near you that are trained in video storytelling for business. Go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get special insider info for listeners of the Garlic Marketing Show, including special access to to several of my courses, including my case story course. Go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get a whole bunch of special offers just for listeners of the Garlic Marketing Show. Whether you're looking for a videographer or to do it yourself, go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get started today. That's it for the Garlic Marketing Show. If you want to get the inside scoop and the latest techniques, make sure to follow Ian Garlic on Facebook.